The following class was held at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at RedeemerNC.org. Um, I am so I am very excited to be here because Don and Kay have talked about you for years, and they do love you with all their hearts. And so I am very grateful for this opportunity. I am glad that um, I get to just hang out with my brother and sister-in-law for a couple extra days. We're actually staying just a little bit longer, so I'm very excited about that. Um, I'll start this way. Allie picked me up um, this afternoon from Don and Kay's house, so I had a chance to talk with her about why I chose this particular character that we're going to study first of all this evening, and it is the character Abigail. So this started as um, a few years ago, I started something in our church, a summer Bible study. I called it Step Into Her Sandals, and it's just characters in the Bible, Old and New Testament. And so I began looking at Old Testament characters. I wanted to balance Old and New Testament characters. And I was reading the story of Abigail from 1 Samuel 25. And the very first thing we hear about her is this. Abigail was discerning and beautiful. Notice the order. Discerning and beautiful. So I kind of latched on to that word. I have read Abigail's story many times. But for some reason, I wanted to really dig in a little more to that word, and I'll tell you why. I don't know how you have felt the last two or two and a half years living in America, but I have wondered, who in the world can I believe? I I don't know. When it came to civil unrest or... Um, elections or COVID, there were so many questions. And I realized, especially in one instance, I did not use discernment probably very well. I thought I was. I was trying to be careful, but it was what I thought must be right instead of looking at it from God's perspective. So when I saw that phrase talking about Abigail being discerning and beautiful, I decided, okay, so I'm going to just study this out just a little more. So that's what we're going to do in these first two sessions. We're just going to talk about Abigail. And I'm going to, we're going to take our time, I hope, with her. So I actually want us to read some of these verses because her story may not be quite as familiar. The truth is, her story really comes in this one chapter, a little bit in another chapter, and one verse in a third chapter. So, But I want us to hone in on this just for a little bit. I also want to say this, when we read of Bible characters, especially those in the Old Testament, we find them, so when we're reading about them, they are always just about at a point of crisis, or they're just getting ready to go into great opposition. And because we have read the Bible and know it, we know how it turns out. We know how God uses it, but when those characters are in that crisis, we say, wow, this is, this is amazing. I could never be like that. What we don't see them is in the middle of baking bread or feeding sheep or hanging laundry or filling jars at the local watering hole. But it is the crisis that defines them because it is in those crises that God works. The everyday routine that you and I go through every day, hanging laundry, feeding sheep, okay, um, our preparation for this time that we read about in Scripture. And in these stories, especially in the Old Testament, we see how God is carrying out 
his promise of a rescuer. And, and he protects the plan until we get to read about not only Jesus' um, crucifixion, but his resurrection. So all the stories lead us towards something. So we can't say, I could never identify with Abigail, or I could never do what Esther did. Because God is shaping our story, and he's using just the ordinary, everyday faithfulness, carrying on, yes, when it's hard, yes, when we have to grit our teeth. And until that day where we face our biggest challenge or crisis, and in it, we learn to bring him glory. We affirm the cross and the resurrection ourselves. So really, what I am doing in these two sessions is I am preaching to myself, and I'm letting you all listen in. Um, First of all, I think in your folder, you may have the scripture typed out, and so that will be helpful. Um, Because there are certain words that will be repeated, you might want to either in your Bible or in that scripture passage that's printed out, highlight or underline just so you kind of see some continuity that's going on within the chapter. The book of 1 Samuel narrates an account of Israel's last judge, Samuel, and the rise of its first two kings, you know, are Saul and David. In chapter 9, Saul's story is full of promise. In fact, we see him at his most humble, and he is head and shoulders above everybody else. So it's interesting. That's in chapter 9. By chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, Samuel has already anointed David as the next king. So clearly in those seven or eight chapters, something has really gone badly wrong. Uh, Clearly, when we are first introduced to David, clearly he's got to be the hero of the story of the rest of this book. Um, And David's character is on display, um, especially in his dealings with Saul. And if you remember the story of Saul and David, who just became worse rivals. Sandwiched in this chapter that we're going to study, 1 Samuel 25, chapter 24, and chapter 26 are two chapters that talk about times. Now, keep in mind, all David is doing is running from Saul. He is running and hiding out. So these two chapters, 24 and 26, are actually chapters where David spares Saul's life. He is a chance to put Saul away. And in fact, the men that are with him say, do it, do it, do it. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. So it's interesting then that 25, chapter 25, his restraint in 24 and 26 has suddenly gone haywire. He is clearly not the hero of this story. And it is a woman who takes the reins and pulls him back. So I want us to read just a little bit of 1 Samuel 25. Now Samuel died. That's why chapter 25 starts. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his home in Ramah. Then David arose, went down to the wilderness Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal. Samuel was such a well-respected man in Israel. Um, Stories of his childhood. And you remember a couple of the stories of Samuel's childhood? Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. That's that, Samuel. Okay. So I am sure that stories of his childhood were even told in ancient Israel as bedtime stories to some of those Jewish children. But Samuel's days ended in obscurity since 
Israel rejected his leadership. And honestly, it wasn't just his leadership. It was God's. No, we want a king. We want a human. Um, So such was his heartbreak. When it says, now Samuel died, I think no one felt that loss as much as David did. Because from all the studying and reading that I've tried to figure out about the relationship, Samuel was some kind of great mentor and David's best ally, especially in those years when he's running from Saul. So now that Samuel has died, I'm sure he just feels utterly alone. Southern Israel's wilderness is a hard scrabble life. We went a number of years ago, my husband and I, we went to En Gedi, where this story takes place in Israel. Let me just remind you about is what Israel looks like. So Israel is a little country like this. Here's the Mediterranean Sea, and it's divided into three districts that you know, Galilee, Samaria, Judea. Judea is the area that we are at. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is up here connecting the, um, the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. So actually, we went to an area of En Gedi where David was holed up, probably in one of those caves, hiding from Saul. But you can look out over the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea close up is not anything to look at. But when you're looking at it from a little bit of distance and the blue sky is shining down, all you see is it's just beautiful. But where you are in the rocks and hills, it's rugged. It is rugged. And it's hard climbing. It's not like mountains, but it's hard wilderness hills. It's a hard way to live. Um, so David is from this wilderness. He has been in En Gedi. Now he is in this wilderness of Paran, where this story is taking place. He was looked on by many or some, as an outlaw. And he had to stay on the move because he was constantly being harassed and chased by Saul. I would say, again, because he was on the run, he can't keep animals, he can't farm. I think he was always, probably one of their main things was, where's our next meal coming from? We're going to starve if we don't get something. There's only so many wild bear, okay, that you, can, that you can shoot in the wilderness of Paran. So he, um, I would say even this, he was hangry. He was hangry. Um, there are two other characters in this um, section. We've just read about one. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. But the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men. And I love what he says. So um, I went back and I started looking in other um, Bible translations to hear how other people decided to translate Nabal. Okay. ESV says he's harsh and badly behaved. But here's some others. Rough, mean, evil in his doings, surly, crude, brutish, ill-behaved. In fact, we find out that his name means fool. That's his name. It means fool. Now, Nabal had a worthy lineage. When it says he was a Calebite, you know who the one, one of the most famous Calebites there was? Do you remember Caleb? In the Old Testament, Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies that were willing to say, yes, we can do this. Yes, God is going to be with me. The other, said, the other ten said, no, we can't do it. It's that Caleb. He was a Calebite, so he, they were of the tribe of Judah. So that is a worthy lineage that Nabal came from. 
Um, Let's see. He was also a wealthy man. And I just said it. He was wealthy in wool and lamb chops. Abigail was discerning and beautiful. And we've read that several times now. Just as Nabal is characterized badly, so Abigail's virtues are in her wisdom that's translated discerning several ways, actually. And she is beautiful. We don't have have any explanation there. We know that. Her name means my father's joy. It's an interesting name, isn't it? Don't get this confused with one other Abigail in the Old Testament. And David actually had a sister named Abigail. And she comes up in 1 Chronicles. But anyway, that gives you an, an idea. All right, so David needed allies. And he needed food. Get this. For 600 men and more. And we read about that a little later on in chapter 25. We'll get to that. The opportunity seemed to present itself when David and his men crossed paths with shepherds, a huge flock that belonged to Nabal. David is starving. Nabal has food. So let's keep reading. David sent 10 men. Uh, young man. And David said to the young man, and I love this because he tells him exactly what to say. All right, you 10 guys, let's practice it. Peace be to you. Peace be to you. Okay. He's he's saying all that. He says, um, thus shall you greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. So he's telling him exactly what to say. Very humbly, you might say, but, but he's just saying, I, if I can bless you, I want to bless you with peace. Okay, That's what David is saying. Ten men, this is what you're going to say. And then say, I hear that you have shearers. Now, your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing in all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let Uh, my young men, find favor in your eyes. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. I don't think it's an unreasonable request, and I'll tell you why. Um, Sheep shearing was such a wonderful festive time. They had it once a year because all they're taking care of these sheep. And you, we read how many thousand there were to take care of. It all boiled down to this time. Finally, we're going to get paid. When we shear the sheep or we slaughter the sheep, finally, all this hard work is going to pay off. So they always had a big festival once a year. Uh, it meant payday was to follow. Lavish parties. Come one, come all. And traditionally, hospitality was on display. That's just what you did. Either for the right reason, we want to share in our wealth, or for the wrong reason, I want you to see how much I got. They did it, okay? This festive time. A rich man like David would surely compensate David and his men for their care of his sheep day and night. Now, I started thinking about this idea. I'm sure David would never forget those years, the harsh and lonely years. He was a shepherd. So I wonder if his decision to help those herders stemmed from that memory. Wild animals, bandits, sleepless nights, all of those were part of a shepherd's resume. Whatever the reason, David and his men likely provided that extra security. In fact, later on, we're going to hear that they were a wall of protection. I want to address one other thing, because I want to just talk just briefly about these 600 men that were with David. I don't know if any of you want to read out loud. Do any of you have your Bibles with you or do you have your just... Okay, I will just read it 
I was curious as to who these 600 men were. Do we know anything about them? And I found out in chapter 22, verse 2, and this is what it says. These 600 men were in distress, in debt, and in bitterness of soul. (laughs) So this was not exactly the cream of the crop group here. And we're going to find out how that might have become a little bit of a problem later later on. So these 600 men, they're already, you know, you don't have to say much for them to want to do something. But David said, let's take care of this guy's sheep. All right, we'll do it. We'll do it. Maybe we'll get something out of it. Um. David chose 10 young men to represent him, told him what to say. He's thinking lamb kebabs are surely on the way. Uh, But even when he gave instructions how to greet Nabal, peace, 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 the response was shocking. Let's keep reading. Uh, Let me get chapter 25 again. Uh, Verse 9, when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Yikes. Yikes. That's not good. So they come back, these ten men. I mean, they're just, I'm sure they're in shock. They come back... (laughs) And it's so interesting how David responds. Anyway, all right, just a minute. Let let me get to it. Who is David? Let me tell you, Nabal knew who David was. I am quite sure. Because he had already been anointed as the next king. He just wasn't able to serve yet because Saul was still alive and David wasn't going to kill him. Okay, He knew who David was. He knew who the son of Jesse was. But I read for emphasis, my sheep, my, my, I. There's no way this guy was going to share. So, when um, what you are counting on disappears before your eyes, your gut reaction is not your finest moment. Seething with rage, David responded. Did you read it? Every man strap on his sword. I mean, it wasn't even, should we think about this? Should we negotiate? No. Grab 600 swords. We are going after this guy. He is history. Okay. David the merciful has become David the vengeful. It is going to be a bloodbath. Meanwhile... I love these meanwhiles back at the ranch. That's how I'm going to say it. Let's keep reading. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Yes, uh, every man strapped on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. That just means that whatever few goods they had, they needed some people to, because this is, this is harsh, hard scrabble wilderness. This is not good territory. So 200 are staying behind, but I bet those 200 were just itching to get out there too. 400, David says, let's go. And they're saying, just tell us when, boss. We're ready. Okay. Verse 14, but one of the young men told Abigail. Now, this is probably one of the shepherd boys, one of the young men who was taking care of the sheep that uh, David and his men had been protecting. So notice what he says. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we were with them. Uh, 
They were a wall to us, both by day and by night, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. So, here is part of the story now that Abigail is hearing for the first time. Um, this shepherd boy, this young man, tells the whole sordid events, those events, to Abigail. Um, the ESV says he hurled insults. Uh, or, or no, yeah, he railed at them. The NIV says he hurled insults. The Hebrew word conveys the idea of he screamed at us. That, that's harsh. That is harsh. It is also very interesting to me that David and his men, they could have snuck in, stolen a sheep or two and taken it to eat. They didn't. They didn't. They were they absolutely did the kind thing. They were a wall to these, this man's sheep. Okay. Uh, let's see. All right. So he further explains, um, he took, they took care of us. Um, and, and then he says, and I love that he had even the discernment to go to her and say, if you don't do something, it's our last rodeo. I mean, this is going to be it for it. And he restates what we already know of, Debal, of Nabal. He's worthless. All right, so verse 18. Uh, sorry. Then Abigail made haste. I want you to make note of this because at least three times... It says, Abigail hurried, or Abigail made haste. And you will find out why it was important that she not delay. Very interesting. Abigail made haste, took, and listen to what she brings. This is the first of three times Abigail makes haste. Talk about thinking fast. This situation, she realizes, has turned deadly, and she can't delay. But what's she going to do? Well, it's always good to start with food. I'll just tell you, that's always a good way to start. Sometimes when my husband has a staff meeting or a finance committee meeting or deacons meeting, sometimes I'll just bring a little, I'll send a little treat. Because I always think, I don't want, I don't want people to get mad if they have a little something to eat, a little something to snack on. And then I even do this. I don't know if you ever do this, Carrie, but sometimes when... When Roger comes home from Deacon, Deacon's means, I say, was anyone mean to you? Just, don't, because, okay, I'm going to have to make sure I bring food next week. Anyway, look at this food that she gets ready. 200 loaves of bread. Two wine skins. All right, this is not... This is not a bottle of wine. This is not even a box of wine. This is a wine skin of wine. This is big. This is a lot. And then I, I looked this up, five prepared sheep. So I looked up a 90-pound lamb can produce about 34 pounds of meat. So multiply 34 times five. That's a lot of lamb. That's a lot of lamb. I'll also tell you this. Aldi had a sale on lamb. <laughs> and I decided I was going to try it. And I tried so hard. I fixed it really nicely. I kept thinking when it was cooking, it has a, it has a, it has a, a unique aroma. And when I was cooking it, I thought... This is what Jesus looked forward to. He would smell that, and it would, it would remind him of his childhood or remind him of Passover. So I made this for Roger and me. I didn't like it. But 
somebody liked all these pounds and pounds of lamb. It was going to feed these hangry men, okay? Um, Five seven-quart containers of parched grain. Now, how I picture this, and I don't know. This is just how I picture it. I picture, you know how we do with popcorn? You know, just get, I picture, this is just some, not a delicacy, but something to fill you and something healthy. So you just, you just pop these like you do peanuts or popcorn. That's how I picture it anyway. A hundred clusters of raisins. Again, don't think sun made these little boxes that you used to put in your kids' mind. We had a man in our church who went out to California and he brought back real dried grapes. And they were on this big vine like this. It was the coolest thing. And they did taste different. So imagine big clusters, a hundred clusters of those, 200 cakes of figs. I mean, these are packed. So you got something sweet, you got something salty, you got your protein, you got it all. I call this the first food truck, first food donkey. Um, It was catering in the wilderness. And you can tell by this menu, this was no small feat. And yet she made haste. She did this quickly. Abigail sent her servants ahead with the picnic and had a donkey ride to figure out what she would say to David. What is her best course of action? What's the most wise thing she can say? She didn't tell her husband Nabal of her mission. And clearly, she's figured out David's not looking for help. Okay. Also note, and this is where Abigail's story becomes so important. God knew that David was getting ready to do something he shouldn't do. And God said, I'm not going to leave David like this. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to protect him. So here's a little lesson. When God urges, when God warns, you better heed. Just do it, okay? All right. You know when you're in a stew already, rehashing the story is not helpful. I don't know if you're like me, if I'm not careful, if something kind of bad, hard, uncomfortable, I rehash the conversation 10 times, 12 times. And, And every time I do it, it gets just a little worse, and I get just a little angrier. I can feel that. That's not good. It's not going to be good. I better be careful. Grudges fester. I can find, I don't know about you, but I can find ways to feel justified in my anger. When I repeat it, then it begins to grow to fever pitch. And I think that's kind of where David is. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 19. She went to her young men, go before me, behold, I come after you. She did not tell her husband. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. All right. Picture this. So I have called this session, When a Woman Walks a Tightrope. She's walking a tightrope right now. She knows what her husband has done. She knows she is facing somebody who is really angry. What is she going to do? She's on the donkey. The truth is she doesn't even know if David is so angry that he might just haul off and kill her. 
She doesn't know. He is one angry man. And he says, he even says, I'm not going to leave one male standing. That's going to be it. All right. The New American Commentary, Volume 7, calls this passage, this next passage we're about to read, that where Abigail is speaking, calls it the longest speech by a female in the Old Testament. 153 Hebrew words. I found that really interesting because we don't know a whole lot about Abigail except in this chapter, and suddenly this is the longest speech. Let me tell you why that is important if you haven't figured it out yet. It's important because women never initiate a conversation with a man. You don't do it. You don't even look a man in the eye He's got to start. He's got to be the one to start. It's interesting because I learned that the hard way, even in India, my daughter and her husband and three little boys, they're missionaries in India. One day when we were there, so I've been there several times, one day we were going to their, her, uh, their house helps home. Her name is Parveen. We were going to Parveen's home. Parveen had become a believer. She's Muslim. She has six children. They live in one room. There's a bed in there, and that's all. I'm serious. That's how small it is. She had become a believer. Her husband, maybe, Burakan, maybe believed. I don't know. He's he's just a little iffy on that. But anyway, so we were all going to go to this house, helps, house, for a Bible study. And so, you know, what do we do here in America? We look people in the eye. Hello. You know, just if I'm passing someone, hello. You know, I I nod or I do something. So we get to Parveen's, outside of Parveen's house. And there are two men. I think one is maybe Buddha Khan. I don't know who the other man is, but he's sitting smoking and he's not looking at me. So I... I, I want to be friendly. I want to be an ambassador, a good, a good U.S. ambassador. And I just kind of smile and nod. Now they both turn away. So we get in, have the Bible study. I got home and I said, Jennifer, why were those, who were those two men and why would they not look at me? She said, oh, Mom, did you make eye contact? I said, yeah. She said, you're not supposed to do that. I said, thanks for telling me now. So, so even, even in modern times, at least, you, you don't do that in certain countries. Is, is that true? Yeah. All right. So, you're not supposed to approach a man, but Abigail's doing it. Abigail is going before an angry man, actually men. But I, want, I just want you to be aware of a few other women in the Old Testament who do the same thing. They approach a man about a problem or a situation. And you'll recognize these, except maybe this first one. I'm trying to go in order of the Bible. So in the book of Numbers, there's a fascinating story about Zelophehad's daughters. They are, the Israelites are getting ready to go into a promised land. Zelophehad only has five daughters. They're not allowed to have any land. Because they're women. Only sons get land. So they go before um, they go before Moses and Eleazar, the high priest, and all the elders of the congregation. And they say, we think we should have land. Okay, that's one. Uh, Numbers 27. You remember, perhaps, Deborah and Barak in the book of Judges, Judges 4. She's the one that says to Barak, we got to go. We got to go. And he says, all right, but only if you go with me. Yeah, okay. But now you won't get the glory. It's going to be a woman who's going to get the glory. But she initiates, we got to get the ball rolling. We've got to fight this battle. Ruth and Boaz, that one I know you're very familiar with. She's the one, Ruth is the one that goes into the threshing floor lies down at his feet, pulls it up. You don't do that. But she did. She initiated it. That got the ball rolling. They're married. Boom. There you go. 
Um, uh, oh, and, and of course, the most famous one is um, Esther and Xerxes. And you know, she's going before a, um, an unbelieving king, and she is not even allowed to go before him unless he holds out the scepter. Otherwise, it's off with your head. And, and she says, I'm going to do it. And she goes. She initiates. So there are instances in the Old Testament where women had to be very brave in hard situations. You and I probably have a little bit of trouble understanding that because we've got, you know, women's rights, all this kind of stuff, all right? But back then, that was a big deal. Wait a minute, is it time for me to quit? How many more minutes do I have? I forgot. 15. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. Um, One woman versus 401 angry men. I say 401 because there were 400 men and there was David, okay? Against one woman with food. Um, And remember, this is important, remember what we know about these 400 men. They're in debt, they're in despair, they're, you know, downcast, all this kind of stuff, right? So they're already, they're itching for a fight. Um, They didn't question David or stop him. No way. I'm with you. Let's do this. So Abigail would have to. She hurried toward David. So let's keep reading in chapter 25. When Abigail saw, uh, chapter 25, verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried. Notice again, she hurried. Now she's there. She's not wasting time. What should I do now? What should I do now? She hurried. She got down from her camel and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. That blows me away. I could do mic drop right now. What? She hasn't done anything wrong. Her first course, her first instinct, her first inkling, what is the right thing to do? She bows down. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone. You hear that? On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt Please let your servant speak uh, in your ears and hear the words of your servant. I find that so, wow, that's so interesting. Um, This is the tightrope that Abby, I'm going to start calling her our dear Abby. What our dear Abby is facing. When you don't know what to do, be humble. Discernment starts there, even if you're not in the wrong. David himself had shown humility to Saul twice. Chapter 24, chapter 26, great, he did it right um, in talking to Saul. Um, Her humility helped David cool off and listen. She shouldered the responsibility for her husband's behavior, caring more for her family than her reputation. Wow, that is a hard one. That is a hard one. Five times, here's the the next thing you may want to highlight. Five times in this negotiation speech, these 153 Hebrew words, Abigail calls herself your servant. Those words are also important. Your servant, your servant. Though she is clearly master of the situation, one commentator says. Our dear Abby stood in the gap, diffused the anger, and agreed with David on one point. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 25, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. 
Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Wow. Uh, Abigail stood in that gap. She diffused the anger in this one point, she acknowledged that Nabal's reputation was for worthlessness and folly. In Hebrew, the word folly means senselessness or disgrace. I don't think she is ranting, throwing her husband under the bus, but she knows better than anybody who he really is. So she acknowledges you're right. In fact, I kind of I think of it like this. She might have said, it's not you, it's him. Okay, He is the problem. I do acknowledge that. Um, but she also says, don't even regard him. Don't even give this situation a second thought. Why risk your reputation over someone who is not worth it? She was unaware of the verbal exchange. Her husband, the ten young men, she didn't know any of that had gone on. She didn't know that. Um, She did not know the one-sided, actually Nabal's, one-sided rant until a wise servant gave her the lowdown. But she dives into the heart of her petition and wisdom. Let's keep reading. Uh, let's see, what are we on, 27 or 26? Yeah, 27. And now let this present um, that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. You know what the present was? You know, the seven dressed sheep, the, you know, all that stuff. Um, now let this present be given to uh, to the young man who follow my Lord, please forgive the trespass of your servant. She's blaming herself again. For the Lord, okay, she's calling David Lord, but you, you should notice there's a difference in how Lord is spelled. Okay, so the Lord God, but my Lord talking about David. He said, for the Lord, she says, the Lord will certainly make my Lord, a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. Isn't that interesting how she says that? And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. Okay, let's stop here just a minute because she's she's saying a lot of things. But what she is doing is she is speaking truth into this angry man right now. All of what she's saying is true. And all of what she's saying, David already knows, but he is forgotten. So she jumps right in and she begins talking to him. And I picture that she is just talking to him calmly. Sometimes um, I get a little over-enthusiastic and I'm kind of loud. I think I may have done that with um, Calvin and Button, Don and Kay's dogs. I come in, I'm so glad to see them. Oh! And and I think it scared Calvin. He kind of ran the other way initially. So I don't think Abigail did that. She's talking in a soothing, calm voice. Do you think maybe she had good practice with this? Think of who her husband is. Yeah. She is going to diffuse this situation. And one of the things she did, I think, is just with her voice, very calm. All right. She says... Now, and this is, this is the heart of what she's trying to say, the Lord has restrained you. In other words, the Lord has kept you from bloodshed. 
you're getting ready to kill a bunch of people. Yeah, they may not be any good, but it's not worthy of death. You should not be killing this people just because you're mad at them. She and, and, and so by her saying, and I find this interesting too, you will not bring bloodshed. She's already assuming that David is going to make the right decision. She already is speaking truth into him in the future so that David can say, oh, oh yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I should step back just a little bit. She's already spoken true and positive words and hoping and praying that he will respond in kind. She spoke truth into David's life before it happened. This present, all this wonderful food, the food truck, food, food donkeys, it's not a bribe. It is a compensation or a kindness for a kindness. She says, forgive me. I, I find that fascinating. What a woman. Such humility. And we've just talked about she probably had a lot of practice. Uh, Abigail encourages David to focus on the Lord. Where are David's eyes right now? Kill, kill, kill. He's looking, and Abigail says, let's look up for a minute. Let's look at the Lord God. Let's focus that way for just a second. Calm down and points him to God, she reminds David of his majestic future. She doesn't know all the details. She doesn't know the kind of king that David would become. But she does know that he is to be the next king, and he needs to be patient a little while longer. His destiny and dynasty are prophetic and she calls a sure house. God, he says, she says, the Lord God will keep all his promises to you. You've got to believe that. Believe that. Don't give in now. She is protecting David from sin. David is to fight the Lord's battles, but this is not one of them. We're going to stop there. Thank you for listening to this class from Redeemer Community Church in Fuqua Varina, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this class to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more classes, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.